0: Brothers and sisters, Faith Covenant family, friends who are joining online with us, I have to tell you that my heart has been heavy all week. And my heart is heavy even right now as I'm preaching this sermon to this camera. Our nation is in upheaval and turmoil, not only with COVID-19, but also with the tragic murders of Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. The racial tensions and injustice have boiled over into, into the streets, We have seen many peaceful protests, and we have seen many people take advantage of that in order to riot and to loot. And we have to ask, what does a preacher do in times like this? Well, I think one option that preachers consider in a time like this is to totally scrap what they planned for and uh, what they planned on saying and just speak directly to the issues. Uh, Now, that's certainly appropriate, and I do plan to speak directly to the issues that we are facing as a nation, uh, including the issue of racial reconciliation. But also, I do not want to unintentionally communicate that somehow the ascension of Jesus and the Trinity, that somehow these are spiritual beliefs only, and that somehow they're irrelevant to what's going on. I want to suggest to you that everything that we have been discussing in this series, our ascended Jesus, who is present with us at all times, that these truths have everything to do with what's going on in the world. And I want to further suggest to you that even a doctrine as confusing and as mysterious as the Trinity, that it has everything to do with what's going on in our world. In fact, it is essential. And so the challenge for us is not just to believe these truths, but to integrate them into our lives. We say we believe these things, but how will they impact what's going on in our lives and in our world? So today, as planned, I'm going to conclude our, se- conclude our series, Who is Jesus Now?, uh, by talking about Jesus, our High Priest. And on Trinity Sunday, I'm going to, of course, talk about the Trinity, and I'm also going to talk about racial reconciliation. We're going to talk about all of that in one sermon. So I hope you're ready. Buckle up. We're going to dive in and see what God's Word says about all of this. Uh, so if you want to follow along at home, uh, we're going to be preaching from Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. Now, I want to make three points about this passage and what it means for us in our world. Number one, Jesus, our great high priest, reconciles us to the triune God. Jesus, our great high priest, reconciles us to the triune God. Verse 11 of this passage says that Jesus Christ came as high priest. Now, those of you who have been reading the Bible with us uh, in our Bible reading plan— Hopefully, you'll be glad for your Old Testament background uh, that you've been getting over the past couple months. You see, the high priest had a few particular tasks. He represented God to the people and the people to God. But probably his most important task was to perform the rituals and the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Now, uh, God had instructed the people to build the tabernacle and the temple. And in in the temple, it contained this curtained-off section called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, the most holy place, was the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where God's presence was, was experienced most intensely. And no one was allowed to go into the most holy place, except the high priest. And even the high priest, he could only go in one time of year. And the one time of year he could go in was on the Day of Atonement. And this was the one time of year that the high priest would perform the necessary sacrifices to make atonement for the people, to remove all sin from the community, community, and to have the blood purify them so that God's presence might dwell with them. And as with many things in the Old Testament... This was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. You see, Jesus, at the same time, he is both the sacrifice and the high priest. And as our high priest, he offers his own self and his own blood to cleanse us from sin and death and to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west and to reconcile us to God forever. That's what Jesus has done. That's the good news. And so it's no wonder that when Jesus is crucified in the Bible, it says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The barrier between us and God has been removed because Jesus is our high priest. Let's go back to the passage one more time. It says, Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, the Old Testament sacrifices, that is, but he entered the most holy place once for all. Not once a year, once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. That's talking about the Old Testament rituals. Then he says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So what this passage is saying is that Jesus went into the true Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies in, in the temple, this was just a picture of what is the reality in heaven. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he went into the very direct presence of God and he made atonement for us as our high priest. And we are now forever reconciled to the triune God. But I want to go back to something, the passage. Did you, no, can we go back to the the scripture passage here for a second? I want, did you notice how all three persons of the Trinity are represented here? We have the blood of Christ, that's the Son. We have who through the eternal Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus offered himself unblemished to God, that's the Father the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as with everything with Jesus' life, Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's even by the Holy Spirit that he had the power to lay down his life and offer up his life as a sacrifice unto God. So the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. You see, God is the three-in-one God. And I like how Al-Tazan puts this. He says, God is an integrated social plurality, a harmonious dance, a loving community, a perfect unity. In fact, one scholar uh, says that you could say in the beginning was the relationship, the relationship of the three-in-one God, forever united, forever loving one another and giving themselves to one another, And the triune God said in creation, let us make humankind in our image. As human beings, we are meant to reflect this three-in-oneness that is our God, this diversity within unity. That is what we were created for. And that brings me to point number two. So Jesus, our great high priest, reconciles us into a diverse community. Jesus, our great high priest, reconciles us into a diverse community. You see, what Jesus accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection and ascension was not just our reconciliation to God. It also provides the means for reconciliation to one another. And all of the brokenness and racial injustices of our world, all the dividing walls of hostility, these can be broken down by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's God's desire, to reconcile the whole world to himself in one great big family. That's what he wants to do. And so our beliefs, these are not irrelevant to the, to the discussion of racial injustice and reconciliation we're made in the image of the triune god and the trinity is the supreme example of unity within diversity and diversity within unity i want to show you there's this is a what's called the trinity shield Uh, it's a traditional way of, of showing what christians believe about god we believe that the father is god that the holy spirit is god that the son is god that we don't worship three gods we worship one god yet the father is not the son the father is not the spirit The Spirit is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. There is real difference between the three persons, so we cannot conflate them. And this is the mystery that we believe. There's three persons, yet one God. That's what we believe. It's unity amidst diversity. And so as a church, we are meant to reflect this oneness in the midst of diversity that our Creator uh, shows us and that we are made in His image. And I'm going to be quoting from Altazan a couple times. I want to show you another quote from him. Uh, Altazan says, "...a a church that desires to reflect the image of the triune God, therefore does not strive for uniformity, which avoids and even resists diversity. It commits itself rather to Trinity-based unity, which welcomes diversity." We welcome it. We pursue it. Now, I believe that we have had a few barriers in the evangelical Christian world to pursuing diversity and racial reconciliation. I mean, th- there could be a lot, lot to say about it. Books are being written about this, which we've shared with you via Life at Faith. Um, but I want to share, share a couple barriers that keep us from uh, a global and diverse mindset within the body of Christ. And one barrier that we have is far too many Christians have connected God and country. They have connected Christ in America too closely. Many Christians have a narrow, American-centric view of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I agree, I agree with what Stanley Hauerwas says. And he basically says, Christians, evangelical Christians in our, in our country, set out to make America Christian. But instead, they ended up making Christianity American. They've become too intertwined. And so we need to proclaim, without it being controversial, that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. That's what he said. And the Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. We are foreigners and strangers in this world. And we just so happen to be residing in particular countries. And so our identity in Christ Is not primarily American, it's Christian. We're sons and daughters of God. And we believe that Jesus is Lord, and that means Caesar is not. No Caesars of the the world hold our allegiance. And friends, I have to tell you that we have to be so discerning in this area. And we need to be extremely discerning. We're supposed to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Jesus says. Uh, And so whenever any Caesar holds up the Bible or tries to use the Bible to justify political aims or to justify unchristlike actions, we should be appalled at such things. You see, the Bible, this is not a prop for the kingdoms of this world. It's not a prop to be used for political gain in ends. So do not be deceived by any of the Caesars of this world who might try to use this to convince us that the Bible affirms what they are doing or what their political party even stands for. This This is not America's constitution. This is the living word of God. And I stand up here and preach every week because I believe that this word is true. And we sing it every week. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So let the word guide you. Let the word teach you. Let it be your light and don't let it be commandeered by anybody else. It's God's word and no one else's word. That's one of our barriers. We have to begin to entangle our, our Christian faith from this American entanglement that we've experienced. And another barrier that's related to this uh, to this idea of global and diverse thinking is that we, I think we don't really appreciate uh, how diverse, how multiracial, and how multicultural Christianity has always been and is right now. You see, we can't appreciate it until we begin to repent of this American-centric view. In fact, one scholar did a, 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 a big study on Jesus' Jesus's genealogy and his ethnicity uh, and Curtis DeYoung is his name, and he came to the conclusion that when you look at Jesus's heritage, you could describe him as an Afro, Asiatic, or Asian Jew, an African, Asian, Jewish person. So and unfortunately, Jesus has been depicted as a white person uh, in many of the things that we've seen, uh, but we have to re- that, get that out of our mind. And then we have to remember that the gospel brought Jews and Gentiles together. And I want to remind you that that's not, that's not just two groups. You see, the Jews were a diverse group of people themselves because they had been dispersed, the diaspora, across the whole Roman Empire. So it represents many different communities. And then Gentiles literally means the nations. All the people groups of the world are invited in to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a kingdom community. And this is what the gospel was doing when it was unleashed in the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ broke down the walls between different people groups. This is why Paul could say in Galatians 3.28, this is the most revolutionary text, especially at its time 2,000 years ago, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Revolutionary text. And this would have been the most diverse group of people in any social environment that the Roman Empire had ever seen. It was a revolution. It was unbelievable. In fact, I I, I want to show you uh, one more. uh, I want to show you another quote from one of the early church theologians. Justin Martyr was martyred for his faith. And he said this somewhere in the early 2nd century. Notice the date. And Justin Martyr says, We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. But now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. This is what the gospel unleashes. It begins to break down the barriers and the walls of hostility, even in our own hearts. And this is actually God's desire and his vision for our world. It's where he wants to take the world. And notice what it says in Revelation when the Apostle John got the vision of heaven. And John is looking up and he says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Do you notice that? Even in heaven, John is noticing that there's different people there from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And and to me, that communicates, even in the new heavens, in the new earth, ethnic and language differences seem to be retained in some way. It means there, there's, there's a value, there, there's a beauty that God sees in the way that he has made the, all the peoples of the earth different. So the Bible does not communicate an attitude that we should be, quote unquote, colorblind, okay? We should be aware of And celebrate cultural differences and to some extent they're going to be with us in heaven as we worship together around the throne and it's going to be the most glorious beautiful thing you've ever seen so we have to remember christianity is it's not a western or a european centric religion it formed out of judaism in the middle east it's more middle eastern than it is anything else and it spans the globe and it's centered and it's growing in the southern hemisphere more than anywhere else so we have to get in our minds that this is the most diverse movement on the planet. The church, the body of Christ, is a beautiful, beautiful mosaic of the diversity of God's world. And I want to give you an image that I think will help. I believe what God is building in this world looks a lot like this beautiful stained glass behind me. I don't know if you can see this, Colin. But we have all of this different colors here shown blues and reds and purples and golds and whites and, and darker shades of blue over here. And this represents all the peoples of the world, but notice it's centered on the cross of Jesus. The cross reconciles all the people of the world. And normally we have a Bible also in the front, and that communicates that we are centered on God's word together and, the, and we're all equal at the foot of the cross but the beauty and the diversity is retained. That is what the kingdom of God is. We're We're a growing diverse community that fellowships together. So friends, all of this to say that we need to embrace diversity and racial reconciliation as central tenets of the Christian faith. See, racial reconciliation, yeah, it's being talked about in the political world, but it's not a political issue. It's a gospel issue. It's central to what God is doing in accomplishing the world. And right now is the moment to live into our calling as the body of Christ. And that brings me to point number three. Number three, we are now a kingdom of priests sent out to reconcile the world to God and to one another. We are now kingdom of priests sent out to reconcile the world to God and to one another. I started this sermon by saying that these deep theological truths, they are not irrelevant. They provide the grounding and the source of all that we do. And as our high priest, and by his sacrificial death, Jesus reconciles us to the triune God and to each other. And then uh, the Bible will go on to call us a kingdom of priests. So in other words, we are to imitate our Lord in sacrificing our lives, in order to reconcile people to God and to each other. This is the mission God sent us on. This is the triune God's mission, the Missio Dei. You you could describe it as like this. God the Father sending the Son into the world. The Father and the Son sending the Spirit. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sending the church to go reconcile the world to himself and to each other. So the Trinity shows us the meaning and the purpose of our existence. We are meant to reflect a community that is diverse, but yet is in full union with God and each other. I believe the Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, that's the church, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the church's message. That's what the Apostle Paul and his team were saying, and that's our message as well. And friends, those who are reconciled to God must also be people who are reconciling other people to each other. And so, of of course, you know that I believe greatly in the ministry of evangelism. We need outreach. We need to be sharing our faith and witnessing in the community. But we need just as much the ministry of reconciliation across difference. Altazan says again one more time, he says the call to be reconciled needs to go as wide as it goes high. In other words, as much as we call people to be reconciled to God, we need to be reconciling people into the family of God and to each other. And we hope to do our part. In fact, I'm going to have to walk back over to the screen. Our our church mission statement says this. Faith Covenant Church exists to connect diverse people, into compelling Christian community in order to grow them into disciples of Jesus who reach our neighbors for Christ. And we had, there was a little bit discussion about that word. Do we include this word diverse in our mission statement? And when we did our vision process about two years ago, there was a strong and and I would say spirit-led desire to welcome and value a greater diversity in our church and to value it for a value in and of itself. And so that means we value racial reconciliation and being part of what God is doing in our world. It's part of how we live into our mission. So let me recap what I've said so far. Jesus, our great high priest, reconciles us to the triune God. He reconciles us into a diverse community. And we are now kingdom of priests sent out to reconcile the world to God and to one another. And I believe right now, many of you want to answer the call you want to do something you're upset and you're grieved by the injustice and the violence around you and you're asking what can we do what can i do what should we do well i want to give you three very practical suggestions number one we can educate ourselves we can educate ourselves we have a lot of work to do in understanding the issues in the history of what's happened in our country and we don't want to be satisfied with the surface understanding. Uh, you know, reconciliation means you have to understand the, the history and the harm that's been done in the past and in the present. And so we need to educate ourselves. And I'm inviting uh, all of you to read the book, White Awake, by Daniel Hill. And I'm going to be having a four-week uh, discussion on this book uh, on a Zoom call on Wednesday nights for the next four Wednesdays. That's from 7 to 8 o'clock. Anybody is welcome to join or if you can't make that time, uh, you can read it with a friend, read it with people in your small group, find somebody to read it with. But this is a great place to start, If this is, if, especially if this is kind of your first kind of step into this conversation. Uh, it's a great place to start written from a Christian perspective. So we need to educate ourselves. Number two, we need to practice solidarity. Now, in the book of Esther, when Mordecai learns of the great plan to kill the Jews and harm the Jews, what does he do? You may remember, some of you may remember the story. It says, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city. Remember, they're in Persia. This is a foreign city. And he's wailing loudly and bitterly in every province to which the edict and order of the king came. And there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. See, this was a public demonstration that the harm that was being done and planned against the Jewish community was absolutely wrong, and it was called for a public outcry. This is, in many ways, a protest, a wailing. You see, protesting, when it's done peacefully and nonviolently, It is a right, and it is a just, and it is a biblical response to the community violence and injustice we see. And of course, we don't condone violence at all. Uh, Jesus taught us to be nonviolent in the Sermon on the Mount. But we are called to mourn with those who mourn. And especially our black brothers and sisters are mourning extremely unjust deaths right now. And I have to ask, are you mourning and grieving with them? Are you When one part of the body suffers, the whole body is supposed to suffer along with it. And I believe this is likely a moment where the children of our church, the, our own children, will ask us, Mom and Dad or Aunt, Aunt Uncle so-and-so or, you know, friend in the church, what did you do during the racial riots of 2020? What did our church do about it? You know, I hope we don't say that this was just another blip on the radar Another, another death that we just passed, let us pass by. Now, what if we could say to, to our, our future children, you know, in that moment, it, it, was, it was transformational. It, it brought about a, a revival in our country. It brought about a healing in our land. It brought about a transformational change in our church and in our own lives. We, we started educating ourselves. Some of us protested. It was a moment of transformation, and I can't wait to tell you more about it. I pray that that is the case for us. And that brings me to the third thing that we can do, which is to pray and to lament. We have been praying the Psalms together as a church, reading them together, and they teach us to lament. Have you you noticed how many laments there are in the Psalms? This is a biblical and right thing to do during this time. And uh, going back to the truth that Jesus is our ascended Lord, he's our high priest, that means... That we know and we can trust that our prayers will be heard. That they are brought into the very holy of holies. They are brought to the throne room because we have a high priest who represents us. And we can know that our prayers will be heard. There's no barrier between us and God. And I want to remind you from Hebrews 4, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that's the ascension, wouldn't you agree that this is a great time of need in our world and in our church, in our nation? Let us boldly approach the throne and lament and pray and ask for revival and renewal and that really the only thing that can solve the problems of this world is a transformation through Jesus Christ. It's a sin problem. It's a systemic sin problem. And we need God to intervene. And as we close today, uh, we are going to be praying, but I've, I've asked John and Matthias to prepare and to sing for us a, a special song uh, that will hopefully communicate our hearts and our prayer uh, as we pray over uh, our world and our nation. So let's sing and pray this song together. Oh Lord, that is our prayer. Spirit of God, that you would pour out your presence and your power and your healing upon the church. That you would transform us into the great peacemakers and reconcilers that you call us to be. And God, that we would see revival and renewal spread across, Lord, not only this nation, but all the nations of the world. That, because you are inviting the whole world in. And, but holy God, even during these times, a, a cloud of grief hangs over our heads. So give us the courage to boldly pray and to lament. We lift our eyes to the hills, which is where our help comes from. And Lord, the deaths of your image bearers, we grieve today. They are a sign of the brokenness in this world. And Lord, when the names of the people who have been unjustly and horrifically murdered is too many to count, we know that not one soul has been forgotten by mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, cousins and friends. And they will remember the laughs and the smiles, the dreams and the struggles, the talents and the personalities. But now these men and women are gone. And we say, how long, O Lord? How many videos must we watch before we begin to see a change? Help us, O God, heal our land. Help our nation and help us to examine ourselves. Help those of us who are sad and angry to not let these deaths be in vain. Lord, we do not pray for vengeance. That belongs to you. But we do long to see justice in this world. And we long to see healing. And we pray for healing between neighbors, between races, and between neighbors and police officers who are called to protect and serve. And we long for the day when we can all live together in harmony and peace. Oh God, our hope is in you. Deliver us from all our fears. Come quickly to help us. Make haste to save us. And we pray all of this in the name of the the one who came, that we might have life and to have it more abundantly. And we now pray the prayer that the whole church, the whole family of God together prays that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. By saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.